0: converted, and subsequently uh, blessed by Ananias and baptized, but uh, the people, the Christians, or the people, the followers of Jesus, don't know this yet, of course, and he had been a real ogre amongst them. So we move right into the passage and so, uh, after Saul had... Uh, arrived in Damascus. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and here's the 180. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on, the, on this name? And hasn't, And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried, they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church... Throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. The word of the Lord.
1: Father, thank you. Thank you for this time of worship. Time where we can come together as brothers and sisters, as family. To praise you, to worship you, to be fed by you. Lord, may this time of worship, may it shape us and form us more and more into who you've called us and created us to be. And Lord, I, I pray that the words which will be spoken next... Lord, may they be your words and not mine. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of Saul, who later becomes Paul, has to be one of the stories of the most transformation that anybody can go through in the whole Bible. Saul was trained to be a Pharisee and he was smart. He was on a trajectory to be like the chief priest of the chief priests, to be the best of the best. God had given him an amazing mind. But Saul was so wrapped up in in the rituals, in in the fear of, of the Jewish faith at that time. That when Jesus comes and he's preaching forgiveness and grace, it just goes against everything in his own heart. It gets to a point where as Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit comes and the, uh, the apostles and others are, are preaching and teaching in Jerusalem. And, and, and Paul sees his fellow Jews turning and, and following Jesus and saying, yeah, truly he is the Lord. He is the Messiah. And then Stephen comes along and Stephen is a powerful preacher. and He's telling the people who Jesus is. Jesus is the Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And Saul just, his inside just gets filled with more and more anger. But he's not the only one. There are others who hear Stephen preach and, and they're filled with rage and they grab him and they, they haul him outside the city and, and they stone him to death. And, and Saul is there and, and he's, he doesn't participate in the stoning, but he watches over the clothes, uh, cloaks of, of all those who are participating. But he's approving it, he's cheering them on. He was a spotter, but in the wrong way. But it's not enough just to get rid of Stephen and, and to persecute the church in Jerusalem. He hears that, you know, the word of Jesus and the church is growing all over the place, and especially in a city called Damascus. And he goes to leaders in, in Jerusalem, of uh, the synagogue, and he says, hey, we can't let this get out of control. Give me letters so that I can head there, and I can, I can arrest them, and I can put them in jail, and, and we can make sure that this... This new movement of Jesus gets snuffed out. <coughs> it always amazes me at how much anger and rage is in Saul. In some ways, it scares me. But Saul's on his way, and then Jesus steps in. <coughs> In the middle of the road to Damascus, he just kind of stops Saul in his, in his foot, footsteps. And he says to Saul, what are you doing? Saul says, who are you? And Jesus says, well, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you've been persecuting. Can you imagine what's going through Saul's heart? Because as he opens his eyes, he can't see anymore. He's blinded physically just like his heart was blinded to who Jesus is. And they take him to Damascus. And Jesus appears to, to a guy named Ananias and says, Hey, go, lay hands on him. Give him back his sight. And then Jesus says this. Thus, he's claiming Saul as his instrument to carry his name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. He also reveals that Saul is going to suffer deeply. He's going to suffer deeply for Jesus' name. And Saul does so willingly. That 180, it happens. And it happens for real. Now we learn later in Paul's letter to Galatia that he didn't just hang around Damascus after he got his eyesight back. Because Saul is a scholar. So he heads up to Arabia for three years and there he studies and he studies. He goes through the Old Testament scriptures, that, that's the Jewish Bible, and, and he, he learns and he sees and his eyes are open to all the ways that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, that, that Jesus truly is the Messiah, that he's the Son of Man, that, that he's the Son of God, that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And he is so convinced and he is so knowledgeable now in who Jesus is, he heads back to Damascus and he is preaching and the people are amazed and they're stunned. How can this guy who was so against Jesus now be so for him, but they're convinced because Saul is so wise, he is so intelligent, he is so learned, but he's also so passionate that his Passion just fills the people and they turn to Jesus. And then the apostles back in Jerusalem, they hear something going on and, and they say, what's happening? And they send some people to come find out. And they discover this is Saul. And, and Saul heads back to Jerusalem with them. And, and Saul wants to, to join the disciples because they're all on the same team. They're all, all On the same cause, they all want to share Jesus. They all want everybody to know who Jesus is, to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The very thing we confessed in the Lord's Supper. But they're scared. Can somebody really change that much? What if he's coming back, and this has been all a show, just so that he can get close to them, and and he can get into their inner circle, and Maybe he can betray them, just like Judas betrayed Jesus. But then Barnabas, Barnabas steps in. Now Barnabas, he's got an amazing reputation with the church in Jerusalem. He was a wealthy man, he, and he took one of his fields and he sold it. and he gave the entire money to the church so that they could help those who were, who were poor. They could help the widows and the orphans. And all with no fanfare. He just quietly does it. Barnabas, who names means son of encouragement. He gets to know Saul. And he is convinced that Saul truly has been transformed by Jesus Christ. And he steps in and he convinces the apostles that truly Saul is changed. Barnabas puts his reputation, he he puts everything that he has behind Saul so that he can convince the church that Jesus truly can change even the worst of the worst to love him to accept him. Barnabas also sees the potential in Saul. He sees that with Saul's passion and with his knowledge and and his willingness. And even the knowledge that he is going to suffer for the Lord. He's not even afraid to, to die. Because there are many who are already trying to kill him. But that doesn't stop him. And Barnabas says that potential... I've got to walk alongside this guy because, wow, he can make a huge difference in growing this church. And because of Barnabas, because he puts everything he is and who he is on the line for Saul, the apostles believe. They really trust that Saul was transformed. Their fear, their anxiety was taken away, not because of Saul, but because of Barnabas. Paul becomes an advocate for Saul, helps the apostles to deal with their anxiety and fear. And Anxiety and fear, even still today, can keep us from seeing how God is working in and among the faith community. Fear and anxiety are so powerful as we've seen over the past few years. We've all had to deal with fear and anxiety. It doesn't matter what we say if we are truly honest with ourselves. We all struggled. Some struggled with fear and anxiety from the virus some because of health or, or just a fear of, of the unknown. And it kept people apart. But then on the other side, there were those who, who became afraid and anxious about the government and their overreach. And, and saying, you know, this can't happen either. And, and they began to distrust the leadership that God put into place. They began to distrust anything that was coming from leaders, both politically and within the church. And what fear and anxiety did was it separated people in huge, huge ways. Because that's what it does. If you believe differently than me, if, if you act differently than me, then I'm not sure. Can I trust you? but some of us get into fight mode and we get aggressive and we start speaking out in harsh words and all it does is it creates them and us and that's what was happening in the church. The disciples, and apostles said this is us but Saul is a them and it took Barnabas to help them see that Jesus was working in both and that Jesus can use both for his kingdom. We live in a time where so many still live in a state of fear and anxiety. Last weekend, went to Edmonton with a group from our church who are looking at mentoring, and we've been learning about how many of our young, teens and our young adults, fear and anxiety is a normal part of their lives. If you're a teenager, there's always the normal fears, will I fit in, will I have friends, am I too different, but then as you go further along into your later teens, and it's what am I going to do for a living and, and, and is the, the career I'm choosing, is that something I'm going to be able to, to do and, and am I going to be able to find a job and am I going to be able to find someone that, that I can have as a spouse? Can I, can I ever make enough to, to raise a family and to, to buy a house? Can I ever become independent? And in that fear and anxiety, they begin to doubt themselves sometimes they begin to doubt God and they begin to doubt the church and all that they've been taught. It's hard. Hard to hear some of their fears and anxiety. One thing I've learned is our teens and our young adults are especially afraid of conflict. They see the conflict in the world around us. There's wars all over the place. But they see the conflict among our political leaders. And, and, and our young adults and our young people are being shaped and formed in an environment where, where they're being taught to work together, to work in teams, to work towards consensus. And instead they see the, the leadership in the country just creating polarizing views, them and us. So then they turn to church and to home, and, and they're praying that they can find peace and they can find hope and they can find unity there. And over the last couple of years, they've seen the conflict within the church. They've seen conflict within their own families. They've seen their parents talk about uncles or aunts or brothers and sisters. There's been so many broken relationships. As I was studying this, I'm wondering, where are the Barnabases today? Where are the Barnabases to to stand in the middle? To to help us, especially in our church and our families, to see that, that God is with us, that God is working among us, that That it's not a them and us situation. That God loves the other as much as he loves us. That God is working through the other as much as he is working through us. That God desires us to be together, to be one. One of the forms of the Lord's Supper talks about how there are many grains, heads of grain, and they're all brought together in one loaf, and how there's many grapes and how they are all crushed together to make one cup. And that as that happens and as we partake, the Holy Spirit draws us together, in unity, in oneness. Where are the Barnabases? Where are the mentors who are walking alongside, especially those who are looked at as them, and in helping us to see that God is working in them and using them and that He can use them to bless to bless the church and the kingdom. And that as He draws us together, we can be a powerful voice for Jesus in our community. See, the church is called to be a different place. God has a sense of humor. He takes those of us who are very different from each other and he brings us together in what we call church. And he says, now be family. Be brothers and sisters together. Love each other. Sometimes when we look around each other at the church we'd say if it wasn't for God and the Holy Spirit I would never have met you I would never have gotten to know you I would never have seen how Jesus has changed you how Jesus has made you who you are today and is still working in us and changing us, sanctification making us more and more like him praying more and more grace filled, encouragement filled I love the children's message. It was not just preventing Goody Bear from being hurt by the weight, but it was also about encouraging and giving him strength. That's what a mentor does. That's what Barnabas does for Paul. So how do we relate to those who, who have hard backgrounds or who believe very differently? Do we believe that people can really be changed by Jesus? Do we really believe that people can change? Do we really believe that, as Jesus said, I have sheep that are in other folds and they're going to be different than you? Synod and Jerusalem had a really hard time with that. And they debated it as Saul came back. And, and finally they said, you know what, they are really different. There's only this core stuff that we all agree on, and we have to agree on. There are five statements. In the rest, there was freedom. But in that freedom, there was unity. There was coming together. Barnabas was part of that as well. I sometimes think, do we give up too quickly on people? Even though we know that their only hope lies in Jesus rather than to whatever they're looking to right now? Do we realize that change and transformation can take a really long time? I have a friend, Pierre. He's in Quebec City. He's been hurt, he's been broken by the church, but he came back to Jesus. I've talked about him before. And he still, oh, the language he uses, the uh, some of the things that he believes, some of the ways he acts, is still really rough and crude and hard. Now, over 15 years, I've seen a change in him, but it's been really gradual. But then, when I'm honest with myself. When I look back to who I was, and that's part of what the marriage in Richmond reminded me of yesterday, as somebody reminded us that in, uh, in our marriages, we marry five different people because we change. I'm always hoping I'm changing for the better. But as I look back, I am not the same person I was. But the change was slow. And sometimes there were steps back. We've got to remember that if you've been going in one direction a long time, you may begin to change direction, but it's like a ship. It doesn't just turn like that. It has to make a long, gradual turn. And in that time, the captain, the sailors, have to be patient. But change happens best when someone walks alongside you. Or you walk alongside someone else. And most change, most mentoring, what it accomplishes best is it brings people together. And it brings people before God. Barnabas goes another step forward though. He goes with Paul on his first missionary journey to the Gentiles. Bringing the good news of Jesus to the Greeks and the Romans. Just like Jesus said. And Saul spends a lot of time with Barnabas. And I am sure he learned what it is to be encouraging. When you read so many of Paul's letter. That encouraging tone is so prevalent. But I think he also learned in his own life. The importance of having someone come alongside him. Someone of character who shows us through their own life. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. Sharing what they've learned. Showing that that Jesus calls us together, to walk together, to be his presence in this world together. The story of Saul and Barnabas reminds me that even the greatest people need someone to invest in them, to believe in them, to help them on the life journey of becoming who Jesus is calling them to be, offering second chances in life, not giving up. even if the change is slow. Barnabas is willing to believe in Saul even after Saul had been so wrong about Jesus. And they have a successful journey. So they head on a second one. Barnabas wants to take along John Mark. And Paul says, uh-uh. That guy chickened out. He bailed out on that first mission trip. I ain't taking him again. Barnabas says, no, we have to. Then comes both sad, but also an amazing moment. Barnabas says, John Mark's coming with me. You know what? You can go. You can go on your trip. And Paul takes Silas. And you go, oh, brokenness. But I love how Barnabas gives John Mark a second chance just like he helped Paul with a second chance. And later on, you read, when Paul is in need of help, of courage, of reassurance, he calls John Mark. He says, come. Somewhere along the line, God joined them back together again. And Saul, who's now Paul, learned to trust in him, learned to believe in him. Just like Barnabas helped the apostles to believe in Saul. Barnabas saw the potential in Saul. He saw the potential in John Mark. Just like Jesus knows the potential he's placed in us. Just like Jesus never gives up on us giving us one opportunity after another to come back to him. Giving us his spirit to guide us back to him. So whose life can you make a difference in? By believing in them. By walking with them. By helping others to see how Jesus is working in their life. And how Jesus can use them for his kingdom and the church you, by becoming a mentor, may be part of Jesus' plan to grow his kingdom in unexpected and yet amazing ways. C.S. Lewis wrote, God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. God came in Jesus to transform us. But he also came to bring Jew and Gentile together into one body. And he says, yeah, we're going to be different. But we still need each other. The amazing thing is, all our brokenness, in all the separation that can sometimes come between us, Jesus, through His Holy Spirit, says, I'm using you. I'm using you to bring together what has been broken. Mentors powerful, powerful people in the life of the church. Jesus needs you. He wants you. And he equips you. Will you answer the call? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus who who came. Who came to to change lives. Who suffered and died. Who rose again. And in his rising, he offered forgiveness and grace. Who then went home to you to send his spirit. To bring together people who are so different. But to join them together in one body. In the church. The body of Christ. Christ. And Lord, you use people like Barnabas, those who are willing to step in to these gaps, into these brokenness, into that separation, to create something bigger, to create more and more your presence here on earth. So Lord, I pray that you work in each of us, that we may look for opportunities to bring healing, to bring wholeness to show to the world around us the difference you make. And it's shown through those who step into that brokenness to bring healing and hope and togetherness again. So Lord, bless us, but use us to bless others. Amen.